0: Chapter one, this morning, looking at the first six verses together, and um, man, I, I just want to welcome everyone. My name is Pastor Tanner Turley. I'm one of uh, one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill, and uh, it is our joy for you to come and to worship with us as we kick off this new year with this great series in the book of Ephesians. We're titling in Christ, so we are going to over the next about uh, twenty two weeks minus three around Easter, we'll be in the book of Ephesians looking at what it means to be in Christ, all right? Um, So I I know this is the the, the new time of the year, and um, usually around this time of the year, it is a good time to do some reflection, all right? And most of us may uh, take at least a, a measure of time to look in the mirror and evaluate our lives. Now, I think if we're being honest, we all ask at some point or another the major questions of life. Why are we here? Where are we going? What is wrong with this world that we live in? And and here's another question that every person should ask. Who am I? As you look into the mirror of your life, how do you answer that question? Who am I? See, I know if we're being honest, when we when we look at ourselves, so often we see a, an image, a picture of someone that that we wish were just a little different, right? I mean, let's let's be honest. It's, it's the it's the, the, the new year, and everyone's thinking new year, new you, right? That's kind of the, the, the propaganda that we get tossed out there so much. And so as we look into the, the, the mirror of our life in this new year and new you, you know, there are probably some of us that would like to, to, to see some physical changes happen in our life, right? I mean, I know most of you are beautiful people, and you're quite comfortable in your own skin. But perhaps some of you are like, man, you know what? I'm going to eat a little healthier this year. You know, I've been breaking down those salads and stuff and less dessert. And then some of you, you know, hit the gym. You, you get that. $10 a month, you know, membership at the gym or whatever, you know. And, and so we're all kind of working on these changes about our physical appearance, all right? But, but it's, it's so much deeper than that, right? I mean, it would be one thing if we were just concerned about a couple of pounds and what we're putting on the dinner table. But if we're being honest, there is so much more about our lives that we would probably like to change, And so as we think about this this mirror, okay, let's not only think in in a physical sense, a literal sense, but let's think in a metaphorical sense as well. What about your image as it relates to your work? What about your your image as it relates to your performance and, and how people view you in your workplace? What about your relationships? What about your possessions? What about your circumstances? Uh, How content are you with your circumstances, and how concerned are you about how others view you uh, in relation to all of these items? You see, if we're we're being honest, I think we would all say, you know, the last time that I looked into the mirror of my life, there were some things that I would like to see changed and modified so not only can be more satisfied with my own life, but also so that others could view me and hold me in a little higher regard. And listen to this. When we are driven by the opinions and perspectives of others, when we feel like we don't measure up, however you define measuring up, that that reality can be absolutely crippling in our lives. Who are you? What defines you? You see, what the book of Ephesians is going to do is it's going gonna, it's gonna to show us that we are not, listen to this, we are not the sum of what people think of us. Do you hear that? We are not the sum of what people think of us. We, we are not um, defined by the perspective and opinion of others. And so what I love about the book of Ephesians is it's going to offer a revolutionary picture of who the the person is in Christ, okay? If if you know God through Christ, then God is going to to, to unveil a picture that is absolutely staggering and it holds immense power to, to, to see yourself in a whole new light, And so what I want to put forward today is this, our identity in Christ. We're going to look at our identity in Christ from the first six verses of Ephesians chapter one. And these verses are going to to teach us this, that we should praise God for our identity in Christ and live with great confidence, All right? You need a confidence boost? Well, here you go. We we should praise God for our identity in Christ and live with great confidence, both before him and before others. Uh, First six verses of Ephesians chapter one, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want to give us three encouragements, three ways to respond to what we see here in the text this morning. And the first one is simply this praise God for who we are in Christ. Praise God for who we are in Christ. Christ. Paul, if you remember from last week, was a missionary, okay? He once persecuted Christians, but God met him, changed him, gave him a new assignment. And so when he was once persecuting Christians, he now became a proclaimer of Jesus and the good news about him. And so Paul gave his life to telling as many people as he possibly could about who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. And so this commitment took him to the city of Ephesus, where he spent a considerable amount of time, almost three years roughly, and he was proclaiming Christ day by day with the hope of seeing more and more people say, okay, yes, I see that God has made a way for us to be healed, to be restored, to be redeemed, and he has made that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so Paul sees this great work happening in the city of Ephesus, and he's writing this letter uh, back to them in one of his imprisonments, and we saw in the first verse that he calls these these Christians saints, and he says that they are, we saw this last week, uh, two two words that should define us as Christians, we are in Christ. Don't miss that. That That is the theme that he is going to develop throughout this letter. And so what Paul is going to do is he is going to encourage the Ephesians to say, look, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is who you are in him. And now this is how you should respond and act in light of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Now, look back at verse 2, because this is one kind of Paul's customary greeting. And I know how it is when we read our Bible. It's like, yeah, I see that in all of Paul's letter. So that kind of amounts to Paul saying, hey, what's up? How you doing? There you go. And, and there's not really depth and significance to what he's saying, but that could be not, uh, not be further from the truth. Look at what he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, look, hey, Ephesians, people whom I love, people whom I wept tears over, people from whom I did not hold back one ounce of truth, I want to, to speak a word of blessing to you, and it is grace and peace in Christ. Let's work backwards there. Peace does not simply refer to a nice, cushy life that is, that is free from all conflict. That is not what peace means in the biblical term, okay? Okay. Peace refers to the the Hebrew concept of shalom, and shalom referred to life flourishing as God intended for it in the beginning. And so what we see then now for those who are in Christ, they are experiencing the restoration of that flourishing in all areas of life. And how does this peace come to us? It comes to us through God's grace. Grace refers to the unbelievable gift of God that we do not deserve. And so just listen, these are not throwaway terms for Paul. Grace, peace, that's nice, a little bit of that, that'll do okay. These are words, all right, that cause Paul's heart to absolutely explode. And the explosion happens in verses 3 through 14. All right? Now, now listen. The Apostle Paul, when it comes to these verses, he's so lifted. He's so excited. He's so captured by who God is and what he has done for us in Christ that he would be so bold to say to us New Englanders, look, what happened yesterday at Gillette Stadium. All right? Anybody watch the game? Come on now. Who, who, who saw the game? Raise your hand. we Bostonians here. Thank you very much. All right? Man, that was a great game. What about Brady taking that snap, throwing that? lateral to uh, Julian Edelman. Anybody see that wide receiver screen? We think Edelman's going to take off and do his thing like he does every other time he catches it there. And then he pauses, drops that wide receiver pass down to Danny Amendola. Anybody could have caught that, you know what I'm saying? I mean, anybody. anybody any of you could have caught that pass. It was just wide open. What a play. And, and Gilles Stadium just goes absolutely bonkers, Right? I mean, they couldn't contain the excitement over that awesome play, right? And yet, Paul would say, look, man, that's like, that's, that's nothing, right? The greatest uh, human realities don't begin to compare to the spiritual realities that are true for us in Christ, okay? So just, just to give you a sense of the explosion of Paul's heart for God in these verses, okay, th- th- this these verses, these 12 verses, verses 3 through 14, they are actually, guess how many sentences in the Greek? One sentence, okay? 202 words, if you're counting. He just explodes, erupts, and prays to God for what he has done. So even though we're only going to cover verses 1 through 6 this week, I want to read verses 3 through 14 all the way down uh, this whole entire sentence for us, okay? So just, just listen to this, all right? Just sit back. Man, if you want to close your eyes, soak this in, because if you are in Christ, this is true for you. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him his glory. So verses 3 through 14 are a word of praise from Paul for who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. He starts by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, For, for man to speak blessing to God is to say, God, you are worthy. You, you, you have done great things, and it is for us to give him praise but I love how Paul uses this play on words. Okay, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places. So when the scriptures speak of God blessing man, it's referring to his benevolent gifts, how he's shown his favor on us and withheld nothing back from us. And all of this comes in Christ. Christ. So I I know that we use this language, blessing, sometimes. I mean, if you pray before your meal, which is often a good practice if you choose to do that and recognize that that God has given you this food, he's provided for you, we call that blessing, right? So who's going to say the blessing? Anybody use that terminology? sometimes we talk about we're, we're blessed right we we received you know a nice christmas gift or maybe a promotion at work and so man that was such a blessing all right but but when paul is speaking of blessing here he he calls them spiritual blessings okay these are these are blessings that come to us by the spirit of god and he's he's when he says the in the heavenly places he's talking about this this new realm that is true for the believer in christ this these new spiritual realities and so For Paul to say that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that that means everything that Christ accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, all of that is true for us. Everything that belongs to our salvation, the songs that we've been singing about every single Sunday, every redemption all of that is true for us, and that, that, that belongs to us. That is our possession now because of what Christ has done. So just consider this, okay? When, when Paul thinks about what God has done for us in Christ, okay, this is not just like a little sprinkle that, that God has blessed us with, okay? It's, it's not a little sip, okay? It's, it's not a couple of drops, okay? He has unloaded the, the fury of his love on us in Christ, and the realities that we see here in these verses should quite simply overwhelm us. That's how massive these truths are that Paul is talking about when he says every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so let me me be real clear here, okay? When, When Paul says people who possess these blessings are in Christ, he is referring to those who it speaks of in verse 13. Look at this. In him you also, what? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... And believed in Him were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so if you're wondering today, like, man, are, is th- is this true of me? Are these are these realities mine? They are if you have heard the word of truth and believed in Christ and belief in the Bible. Okay, when, when, when Jesus calls people to believe in him, it's not just mentally checking off on, yeah, Jesus showed up, he died on a Roman cross, and he rose from the dead. People can believe in the resurrection and not be Christians. It's not mental assent. It's not even just understanding, like, yes, I sign off on these truths, but it is acceptance. It is staking our entire lives on who Christ is and what he has done for us. And so, look at what is true for the Christian. Okay, I did a little graphic work here, and and I want to just uh, call this this box here. Um, I know you like that right there. Okay, I didn't draw that. I found that on the internet, just so you know. Okay, this is this is the the you in Christ box. Okay, so I, just, I was just meditating on this passage uh, like, like seven or eight months ago, and, and God just kind of gives me this picture and reading about this new identity that we have in Christ. It's, it's as if we, we have now been united with Christ, and because of this now, look at this. It's like, it's like we have been boxed in, and now all of these blessings come to us. What, what blessings? We, we are blessed. We are chosen. We have been predestined. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We have been redeemed, forgiven. God has lavished his love and grace upon us. He has brought us in to the mystery of his will. He has united us back together with him and with one another where we were once estranged. He has given us an inheritance. He has sealed us with his spirit. He is given us over to the praise and glory of God. And listen, all of what Paul says here, he's only beginning to scratch the surface. Adopted, healed, forgiven, lifted, loved. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. Everything that the Bible has to say about the believer's position in Christ is there for us. And so, if this is our identity, how can our hearts not be affected for a greater love for God? You see, Tanner, this is all so much theology, and we're going to talk about before the foundation of the world and, and all of this. And, and so, man, what, this, what does this mean for my life on a daily basis? Let me just say this Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get depressed? Do you, do you ever um, feel overwhelmed in life because you feel like you just don't measure up? We all do, right? We all do. And so when you feel that way, when you are discouraged, down, depressed, You can remember that you have been blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished, brought in, united, inherited, sealed, and given to the praise of God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is who we are now because of Christ Jesus. So we should praise God for that. Number two, we should praise God because we are recipients of his eternally Planned grace. Okay, we're going to go into the kind of the, the, the deep end of the theological waters, if you will, here in verse 4. What, is, what does Paul say? He says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so when it comes to our salvation, we need to realize that the God, two, two realities should really stand out about God's work Us in salvation. Okay. Number one, God is full of love, and we're gonna talk more about that when we get to verse five. But God is also full of grace. I mean, the scripture cannot be any more clear. All of our salvation is all of grace. He's gonna talk about this more in chapter two, verses eight and nine, perhaps familiar verses for you. Uh, For by grace you have been saved. Can it be any more clear? This is this is um, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, what verse four teaches us that, that, that God chose us in him, in Christ before the foundation of the world is this. All right, you ready for this? Our salvation was, was not a reactionary response from God to say, man, look, People have rebelled against me. Now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do to save them. This grace was planned before you had one measure of faith. But it's even more than that. Faith is a gift, by the way, and we're going to, we just saw it in this verse. Here you go. All right. But, but before, not only before you had faith, but before you were created, and and even wider than that, before the world was even formed, God had taken the first step in our salvation. So we think about this, this, this uh, salvation that God. Offers us in Christ the first step in the process happened before anything even came into being, other than God. So I know it's it's difficult to wrap our minds around these, these, these eternal truths, right? We think about the timelessness of God and what he's doing before the foundation of, of the world and how God sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, and it absolutely boggles our mind but we should be blown away by this kind of plan and this kind of grace that God extends to us in Christ. Theologians refer to this as election, God's electing love. Wayne Grudem defines election like this. Election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. And you say, well, Tanner, man, this is kind of new to me. I'm not sure what I think about this. Perhaps you've been in Christ for a while. And when you get to these verses in the Bible in Ephesians and Romans and so many other places, you're kind of scratching your head. And you don't know what to do with that. Well, let me just tell you this. It wasn't until about uh, maybe 10 years ago that, that, that I came to accept this doctrine of election as I'm explaining it today. I mean, it was, it was mind-blowing to me. I, I didn't know if I agreed with it. In fact, for a while, I knew I didn't agree with it. And yet, what I tried to do and what I would encourage you today, okay? If you say, I'm not there yet, this is new to me. Listen, I just kept reading my Bible. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Just keep reading your Bible and see what the Bible has to say. And let the Bible inform what you believe and not what you want the Bible to say. One of my theology professors called it waffle maker theology. Anybody ever made a waffle? What do you do? How do you do that? You pour the batter into the waffle maker, right? And if you do a good job because you want like a, you know, a nice size waffle, okay, you load the waffle maker up, right? And then when you press it down, what happens? The batter goes over the edge, and so you have to cut off those, those edges so you have a nice round waffle. That's what some of us do with our theology, we take the parts that we don't quite understand or that are not as palatable to us and we cut those off the edges of our theology when, when God is saying, look, this is who I am. This is what, who I've revealed myself to be and it is good. And so what, what should this doctrine do for us, okay? And believe me, when I say keep reading the Bible, it is everywhere in the scriptures. Acts 13, 48, as many were appointed to eternal life, they are the ones who believed. First Peter pins his letter to God's elect who are scattered uh, in the dispersion. Revelation 13, verse 8 says that there are those whose names have been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And we could go on and on. The scripture reading earlier that John read for us. And so I know this is heavy truth, and I know it can be somewhat confusing to us to think about how God chooses and elects before we were even made. And yet, there are some really glorious truths about this, okay? So, so what should this doctrine do for us? Number one, it should move us to humility. To, to, To receive salvation in Christ is not because we are good, because God saw something in us that was lovely. We see this in the Old Testament. Go back and read Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses six through eight say this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And and why is that? Well, uh, Moses tells us it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples but it is because the Lord loves you. I say, well, well, Tanner, I mean, is that true for us as well? I want to say it's absolutely true for us, because if we go to Ephesians 2, which we will in a few weeks, what we're going to see is Paul says this, that you once walked. In the ways of darkness, you were on Satan's team working deals for him, and you were diametrically opposed to God, carrying out the desires of your heart that did not uh, want to follow God's ways. And so when we see that, listen, God's sovereignty and salvation is not opposed to our personal responsibility. Everyone, when hearing the gospel, has a choice to believe or disbelieve. And the reason that people disbelieve is because they want to. They're carrying out their own desires. God, I'm going to follow my own way and not your way. So this should humble us that God in his rich grace and mercy has chosen us to belong to him. And you say, well, well, Tanner, man, it just doesn't seem fair, okay? Like my evangelism professor said in seminary, this was so good for me. He said, the wonder of it all, what is so amazing about this is not that God should not choose everyone, but that he should choose any of us. None of us have deserved this, and yet God does this great work that we might be humble before him. And then speaking of evangelism, number two, this doctrine should move us to mission. So, so because God has done this great work of election, we can be confident that he has people who are out there who are going to believe the gospel. Okay, so at one point, this is true for all of us. I mean, how did you come to faith? Was it because you were looking for God? The answer is no. I mean, I don't care. I mean, God has come to us in the person of Christ. Someone shared the gospel with you. Okay, you didn't find the gospel. Someone shared it with you because God intended for you to hear it, and he gave you the grace to believe it. So, so as we think about this, um, Paul was, was persecuting the church, Right? But, but then he became the one who was persecuted. And we go to Acts chapter 18, and we see that he's in Corinth, and he's under persecution there. And guess what God says to him? In verses 9 and 10, he says, Do not be afraid, Paul, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Why? For I have many in this city who are my people. So, so there are people in this city, Paul, that I'm going to save. But not only do I, listen to this, this is good. Not only do I ordain the ends but I also ordain the means. And so God has ordained not only that people will receive the gospel, but he has ordained that they would receive it by hearing the gospel, and that's why we must speak the gospel to people. So I just want to believe that God has people in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in your families, who are going to believe the gospel, but he is going to use you, and he is going to use me to illuminate their, their minds and hearts by his spirit as we share the gospel with them. So, I mean, if this is true, shouldn't we then be moved to mission? This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Here's a lecture for you again. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of who? The sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal life. So as we think about our, our 2015 vision, it, we want to be those that love all people through communicating the gospel with humble boldness because God has set his love on people and he will save them as we share the good news with them. Number three, this, this doctrine should move us to holiness. It's what verse four says. It says he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So I know some people are are opposed or resistant to come to Christ because they think, well, if salvation is by grace, then I can live however I want to live, right? Have you ever heard that before? Man, if if God has been uh, gracious to me, then, then won't he be gracious more and more and more and just keep on forgiving me? Listen, if that is our view of grace, we don't understand it. When we experience God's love, God's forgiveness, we want to extend that to people in the same way that we have received it consistently. And so grace changes us to be more like Christ. And then also this doctrine should move us to praise. It should ignite our heart with greater affection and greater service to God. You say, well, Tanner, man, do you understand uh, everything about election and God's choosing and how he was operating before the foundation of the world? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I love Deuteronomy 29, 21 that says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but, but, but he has revealed uh, many things to the children of men. I mean, we, we don't have to wrap our minds around everything in the Bible to receive it. Our job is to believe in Christ, to share the gospel, and, and to not worry about, hey, is this person elect? Are they chosen? I mean, just, we just believe and share the gospel, and that is God's job as he works out his salvation. So then, number three, not only should we praise God for his eternally planned grace, but we should also praise God because we are adopted into his family. Look at verse five. It says, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Love is the driving force in the heart of God when it comes to our salvation. I love what my man, Octavius Winslow, a pastor from a couple of centuries ago, says is is this. If if one perfection of God shines out in redemption with greater effulgence, okay? That's a a 19th century way of saying brilliance, radiance, okay? uh, With greater brilliance than any other, it is this. Love is the focus of all the rest. Justice may have demanded it. Holiness may have required it. Wisdom may have planned it and power may have executed it, but love originated the whole and was the moving cause in the heart of God so that the salvation of the sinner is not so much a manifestation of the justice or holiness or wisdom or power of God as it is a display of his love. So in love, if you are in Christ, then God has adopted you as your father, your heavenly father. And so he is a God who loves and cares and protects and provides and exercises patience and kindness like any good earthly father would do. Now, let me just say this. I don't know what your background is, and I don't know what your, what your family was like, but one danger that we have when we come to the Bible is we project our experiences on to God. And so when we see earthly fathers that were somewhat imperfect or perhaps horribly imperfect, then we say, you know what? Man, God can't be father because I never, I never have seen that in life. Well, listen, earthly fathers were made to reflect the heavenly father, even though most all of them do that quite imperfectly and some do it horribly imperfectly. And so I love what Michael Reeves says about this. He says, God is not some pumped up version of your dad, okay? God is God. He is a good father. He is always loving and caring and protecting and providing and encouraging and never for one moment forsaking us as his children. So listen to this. If if God has adopted us, if God in Christ, based on the work of Christ, has accepted us, then then listen, does it it really matter in the scheme of eternity what your coworker thinks about you on that project that you just just took care of? Is, Is that a big deal? Oh, she didn't, she didn't say hi to me when I walked in. You're like, is that a big deal? Oh, man, I didn't get receive praise. You're like, so what, right? Because God has loved us so much. And he has, as the end of verse 5 says, he has done all of this according to the purpose of his will. Some translations say according to his pleasure in, and will. So I just wanna ask you this morning as we, as we wrap up our time in the word, is this your view of God? Is God amazingly not only sovereign but over all things, but is God also amazingly love, lovingly toward us? Is, is God unbelievably gracious toward us? This is the good news of Ephesians that we see here in the first chapter. He does all of this, and he takes great delight and pleasure in doing so. And so in response to God, how is it that we could hold back our praise to God in light of who he is and what he has done? I think the answer is we cannot. We should not hold back one ounce of praise to God in light of all of who he is and all of what he has done in Christ. So, so what I want to do is this. We're, we're going to respond to God in song today. But uh, to do so, uh, I, I, before we do that, I, I, we're going to take a, a few moments and we're just going to pray and we're going to reflect. Most of you were here last week and you heard our vision sermon, how we want to love and build and grow. And, and John prayed through that in our time of corporate prayer. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to take these commitment cards. You can see here, I've, I've signed my name on this. We don't have a spot for your name, so please write your name on this if, you, if you'd like to share that with us so we can pray for you. And we're going to make commitments to, to love and build and grow. Listen, here, here are my commitments. I'm going to share them with you because I want your prayers. I need your prayers. Um, I will communicate the gospel with humble boldness multiple times a week. Right, that, that, that's, that's the goal for me. That's, that's, that's what I want to see God produce in my life by his grace in response to what he has done. Uh, what about to build? I will work hard to provide equipping opportunities through pastoral leadership and especially my preaching on the Sundays that I'm assigned to preach. And, the, and then number three, uh, to grow I will train at least uh, six people to make disciple makers in 2015. Okay, so, so our pastors don't just get up here on Sunday, but we meet with people throughout the week. And, and I want to see at least six of the people that I have some measure of influence over, I want to see them uh, reproduce themselves in the new year. Those are just three goals. Those aren't the only ones that I want to see happen, but I'm going to commit to those this morning. And so what I want to do, and Mike is going to come up, and he's, gonna, he's just going to play some instrumental for us. And I'm going to invite you to, work, to reflect, to pray, to take out these cards, write your name on them. And, and, and you know what? You may say, Tina, you know what? I'm not sure today what I want to commit to. And maybe you say, I don't want to commit to anything. And that's okay. But even if you need extra time, maybe you need another week to think about it, to pray about it. Listen, you're not, you're not forced to do anything this morning, but, but after Micah uh, plays and gives us time to reflect and to pray, what we're going to do, he's going to sing uh, one verse of this song and, and the chorus, and then he's going to invite our, our community group leader, uh, ushers to come forward. They're going to have baskets. And then as God leads you, I want you to, to invite you just to take this, this commitment card. Owning the mission card and, and place it in the basket as we continue to sing songs of praise. So we're going to have some movement here during this, this song of response, which is really, really uh, uh, cool to, to be able to move as we worship. And, and uh, let's, let's do this. Let's, as we commit uh, these matters to God, let's pray for his grace and pray that everything we do would be rooted in, in our identity in Christ. All right? So don't miss this. Listen, God does not love me more. I am no more adopted and chosen in Christ if I don't keep these commitments or when I fail on any given week to keep these commitments, man, I am in Christ and my position is secure. And now in response of gratitude and joy, I want to live my life in praise to God for who he is. All right? So let's, let's pray together, and then I'm going to invite you to pray and reflect before we uh, sing a song of response. God, would you uh, open our eyes to see the beauties of your truth and to respond to all of who you are. And God, I pray that as you lead us to make some commitments today, that we would do so with delight and joy in you knowing that it's not based on our performance, that, that you love us or accept us, but, but we are accepted through the precious work of Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would cause us to expect great things from you. I pray that we would know that you are, you are able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine so that you might receive glory in your people, in your church, and in Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations, God, your praise stretches from eternity to eternity. And so it's our joy that in these uh, small moments of our life, what we do in 2015, that somehow all of our actions can result in praise to you uh, for all eternity. So God, as we pray, as we respond, as we commit, we ask that you would glorify yourself, that you would build and grow your church, and that you would uh, save more and more people around greater Boston, because this truly is the greatest treasure, the greatest reality that we could ever know. We pray all this in the name of Christ.